You're listening to Simply the Best Sports Take, the best podcast breaking down the best stuff in sports with host Sean Bingham. His takes are so good, he dropped the mic, but then you wouldn't be able to hear him, and that would suck. Welcome into STB Sports Take, Simply the Best Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Bingham. Thank you for being here. We are on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts. Everywhere you get your podcasts, we are there. Uh, thank you for subscribing. If you haven't, please do. I know you hear that all the time. Those of you that are loyal listeners, maybe you just see the link on Twitter or on Instagram. Take a second. Make sure you're actually subscribed. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Um, okay, lots to talk about today, especially if you're a jazz fan. I know a lot of you are here in Utah. Uh, jazz head coach Quinn Snyder steps down. That's code for quitting. Um, just yesterday. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the NBA Finals, of course. We're going to talk the French Open. Yes, I'm going to get into tennis. Just wait and see how impressed you are with my tennis knowledge. Um, let's start with the Jazz, though. Uh, Quinn Snyder steps down as head coach of the Utah Jazz, eight seasons. Um, had a lot of success, winning seasons, playoff appearances, um, best record in the league last year, multiple All-Stars, uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert year after year. Even had uh, Mike Conley as an All-Star, his first ever All-Star appearance. Um a lot of good. Uh, high defensive rating as a team, high offensive rating as a team. A lot of good stuff. The one thing they fell short on consistently, though, was playoff runs. We, I'm saying we because I'm a Jazz fan. I live in Utah, but as a unbiased podcaster, I should re- refrain from that, right? Um, but the Jazz consistently underachieved in the playoffs. Blew a 2-0 series lead. Blew a 3-1 series lead. Lost to the Clippers when they didn't even have Kawhi Leonard playing. And that was last year. Lost to the Mavericks this year when Luka didn't play three games. And they don't even have many play- they don't even have a player other than Luka really worth talking about. I know, I know they have Jalen Brunson. Like they they have Spencer Dinwiddie. These are these are guys that are like fourth options on championship contending teams, maybe third options. Spencer Dinwiddie, Jalen Brunson, they could be third options on a championship contending team. They're not stars. And that's who the Jazz were going against. A Luka-less, a Luka, Luka-less Mavericks team, and they lost. So the Jazz consistently underachieved. There's drama between the two superstars in uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. It just felt like change was needed. I have done a podcast before. I've spoken on this podcast many times saying that either Donovan, Rudy, or Quinn needed to go. Well, now one of them has. So let's see what happens with the other two. Um, I think there's still a good chance you see Rudy get traded for as much as they can get back in return. Um, But to me, this was needed. Now, that said, it's also a bad look for the Jazz. You want to know why? Because they didn't fire him. He quit. He quit. He stepped down. Now, this isn't unheard of, but it's pretty uncommon especially in the NBA. Like these are very sought after jobs and guys are fired frequently for, for underachieving. Um, the jazz have never really been that franchise. Uh, we just kind of let people stay, you know, until they do us wrong. Well, actually I, I take that back. Not until they do us wrong. We don't do that. We let them stay until they quit. Um, and it's almost like we're scared that nobody really wants to work here or come here, which is partially true. And so when somebody does and they're like half good, it's like, well, we'll just keep him. I mean, he's, he's pretty good. And I don't know who else we're going to get. So, I mean, good luck. We're not, you know, we're not the 
Clippers, or, well, Clippers aren't really a sought-after team either, but we're not in Los Angeles. We're not the Lakers, although right now they're not a sought-after team either because uh, of LeBron and his drama queen ways. But you get what I'm saying. You know, this isn't a destination, a hot spot. You know, this isn't like everyone wants to live in Miami or New York or L.A. or whatever. Um, it's not a big market. It's not a sexy market. And so I think that the, the Jazz sometimes as an organization are scared to fire people, even though, like, they need to. Like, Quinn Snyder... I don't know that he needed to be fired, but it's just kind of a bad look for the Jazz, in my opinion. While it's a good thing, I think it'll be a good thing for change. Um, it's kind of a bad look because the guy quit. He literally quit. Like, and he had two All Stars on his team. Was making playoff appearances. Like, come on. I mean, th- those guys, guys like that, don't quit very often, I, or ever that I can think of. Rick Carlisle stepped down just a season or so ago from the Mavericks, but like they, you know, he, he was basically like just done coaching. Quinn Snyder's not done coaching. He's just looking elsewhere. Um, okay, so who's going to replace him? Johnny Bryant is the name I'm hearing the most. Um, I like this one, and here's why. So for those that don't know, Johnny Bryant, he's an assistant for the New York Knicks currently, but he was an assistant for the Jazz for several years until just like two years ago. Um, he's only 36 years old. He played basketball at the University of Utah. He's black. Um, and the reason that's important, all of that, is a couple of things. I'll start one by one with these. 36 years old, it's very young, but I like it. I like it. Let's get a young guy in there, a guy that is going to be hungry, energetic, and you know, out to sh- you know, prove some, you know, prove everybody wrong, right? Prove what he's got. I like that. You look at it in the NFL, Sean McVay and some of these other coaches, they've kind of become the thing in the NFL. And so it would be interesting to see if that could transpire in the NBA as well. So I like that he's young. I do. I think it's a little bit of a risk, but risk, high risk, high reward, right? So I like that. Um, Friends with Donovan Mitchell, coached with the Jazz prior. He and Donovan Mitchell are apparently very close from his assistant coaching days here in Utah, uh, which is very good to keep Donovan here in Utah long term. Maybe he can mend the relationship between he and Rudy Gobert. Um, so I think that's really important that he's been here before. He knows the system. He knows the players. They're comfortable with each other. He's He's been their coach before. Um, it's not like he used to play with them, right? That's kind of different. Like, oh, you used to be my teammate. Now you're my coach. You know, like we know the same stuff, you know, like I was with you four seasons ago or whatever as a player. Um, those, those relationships don't always work out. But this, like, no, no, no. He was already your coach, and now he was your assistant, and now he's your head coach. I think that's great. I think that's really, really good. He played at the University of Utah. He knows this market. He likes this market. He's lived here before. He knows exactly what he's getting himself into when it comes to the, the sexiness or lack thereof of the market and things like that. Um, so I think that's really good. And then he's black. Um, this is the one that's, you know, got to be careful talking about it. But there is this stigma uh, out there that the Utah Jazz and or its fan base is at least a little bit racist, which is not true. I live here, and of course there are racist people here. There are unfortunately racist people everywhere, and that sucks. Um, And the Jazz are doing a fantastic job standing up to it as an organization. Um, But I think that hiring someone, um, a minority as a head coach, for the state of Utah, for the Jazz, I think that would be a huge step in the right direction to kind of start to prove that wrong and start to really hopefully get more players to feel more comfortable in coming here because I think a lot of them have these misperceptions 
that just aren't true because of one or two outlier type incidents. And so I do think that could help quite a bit. So those are some things about Johnny Bryant that I really like. Um, again, there's a lot of candidates out there. Who knows what's going to happen? But he's the one that's kind of leading the charge. And I think his friendship or his relationship with Donovan Mitchell is highest on the list there. But I love that he coached here previously, went to the U. He's young. I like all those things. So we'll see what happens there. The Jazz need it. Quinn Snyder himself even said the Jazz just need a new voice in there. Um, and they do. Like the underachieving in the playoffs speaks for itself. That can't be tolerated. That can't be accepted. And as a fan base, you really need to demand the highest of your teams because that's what, you know, if they keep getting your money and they keep getting your your love, um, they're not going to change. So if you want to affect change, you what do you do? You, you pull back your pocketbook, right? And you just say, look, I love the Jazz. I want to be entertained, but I really would love for us to win. The problem is here in Utah, we don't really expect to win championships because we never have. And so it's hard for the fan base to demand that like the Alabama Crimson Tide do with Nick Saban or the Los Angeles Lakers do, right? They're demanding championships. So the Jazz can't be quite to that level, but it would be, you know, I do like the idea of a new coach. Okay, moving on. NBA Finals. The Celtics steal game one in uh, San Francisco behind a monster fourth quarter. Uh, the Warriors got out to, to an early lead. It wasn't very big, but it was a good lead. Steph was on fire. Then they got out to a pretty big lead in the third quarter. That's what the Warriors do, big third quarters. Um, and they up, got up by like 14 or 15 points at one point. And then the Celtics set a record for highest margin of victory for a quarter in NBA Finals history. It was like 40 to 14 or something crazy like that. And they ended up winning the game by, by 12. Um, so that was game one on whatever day that was. I think it was Thursday or Friday. And then game two was just last night. And the Warriors win big, again, behind a very big third quarter. Um, and if you're a Warriors fan, I've predicted the Warriors will win this in five or six. Uh, given that they lost game one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it'll be in six at this point. Um, but if you're a Warriors fan, you got to feel pretty good because they didn't even really play very well last night. Like, Clay Thompson was four of 19, one of eight from three. Steph was nine of 21. Uh, Kevon Looney played really well. He was six of six. He was a plus 24 in the plus minus, um, as was Steph Curry. Clay Thompson, by the way, though, was a zero. Like he was just even for the game. He played 30 minutes and he was a zero on the plus minus. So when he was sitting out, the Warriors were making their runs. Um, but again, they just didn't play that great. Andrew Wiggins was four of 12. Um, Jordan Poole, six of 14. So he did have 17 points, but again, shot under 50%. They just they didn't have anybody that took double digit shots that shot fifty percent, no one. Um, I just went through all of them. So they didn't play that great. Both teams. There's the other thing. Both teams shot fifteen of thirty seven from three. So the Celtics shot just as well from three last night, getting blown out as the Warriors did blowing them out. And so that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. So if you're a Warriors fan, you look at that and you're like, we're sitting pretty. The Celtics have been road warriors. Um, I should have thought about that on my last podcast. I did mention in the last podcast how in the Eastern Conference Finals, which was, of course, the Celtics and the Heat, the home teams went 2-5. and five. So the Celtics won three games on the road in Miami to win that series. They only won one game at home. So I think it's very likely you'll see the Celtics drop a game at home um, in these next two. 
and then you'll see the Warriors win Game 5 and head back to Boston for Game 6, up three games to two for that closeout, and we'll see what happens there. I'm predicting that the Warriors win. Excuse me. Um, so, interesting NBA Finals so far. Um, nobody has really stepped up and been spectacular outside of Steph Curry early in Game 1, and then he kind of faded down the stretch. He's also shooting pretty bad from the free throw line by his standard. It's like 80-something percent which is just not like him. He's missing one or two every game. Um, Tatum uh, shot poorly in game one, shot a little bit better in game two, eight of 19. He was six of nine from three, but he was a minus 36 on the plus minus. That was the worst in the game by far of any team. In fact, the next closest was a minus 15 uh, by Al Horford, who played fantastic in game one. So, yeah, Celtics did what they need to do. They stole a game. I don't think it's going to be enough, though. They haven't played as well at home in front of their home fans, and they've played really well on the road. So this is kind of expected. Um, and the Warriors are still not playing to their level. Klay Thompson is not going to continue. He had a bad game both in Game 1 and Game 2. So I mentioned he was 4 of 19 yesterday in Game 2, 1 of 8 from 3. In Game 1, he went 6 of 14, which wasn't horrible. Um three of seven from three, but he's shooting like 30% on the series. That's not going to continue. This is one of the greatest shooters ever. Um, he's he's not the clay of two, you know three seasons ago. I think he's slowly building up to that. I don't know if defensively he'll ever be the same, but shooting-wise, he's gonna he's still got it in him. So you're going to see Clay have a game where he goes and gets them 30 points on like seven of 10 from three. You know, it's going to happen. Um, and it hasn't yet. And they, you know, they're, they're still one pretty pretty big yesterday. So I like my pick for the Warriors. Steph's going to get his first ever finals MVP. There's no question. He led all scorers last night with 34. Or excuse me, that was in game one um, where he did lead all scorers with 34. Last night, what did he have? Sorry, checking. 29, which I think led all scorers as well. Yeah, Tatum had 28. So Steph has led all scorers in both games. Um, so well on his, well on track to get his, uh, his finals MVP. Okay. Moving on. Um, Nadal, the French open needs to be renamed the Nadal open and Rafael Nadal is doing things to dominate the world of tennis. Like we've never seen before in any sport, but not really tennis. That's going to be my argument here. It's just the French open. He has the most all-time Grand Slams in a career of any player in history with 22. He passed my favorite tennis player, Roger Federer, to do that. Federer has 20. Djokovic now has 20. Nadal has 22. So Nadal is in first place by himself. Um, But 14 of those 22 are the French Open. This is a stretch of dominance in an event like we've never seen. 14 years Okay, they only hold one French Open per year. So 14 of the last 18 tournaments, 14 of the last 18 years, think about that, years, 18 years, he's dominated the entire time. 14 of them have gone to Rafael Nadal. 14. His dominance on clay is out of this world. Absolutely out of this world. So I'm going to give him all the credit in the world there. My argument for Roger Federer, who I am admittedly biased for, um, is that he's more of a well-rounded... Djokovic the same. I think when Djokovic retires, he'll probably be widely regarded as the greatest tennis player of all time. 
it's unfortunate that Federer is just a few years older than these guys, and he's matched up with them just just at the wrong ages and on the wrong surfaces. So here's some interesting stats. So um, Federer, the knock on Federer is that he's only um, got one French Open. So the knock on on Nadal for being the greatest ever is that 14 of his 22 are on one of the one of the Grand Slams. So Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Australian Open, and uh, French Open. And Clay, I would argue Clay is the least prestigious of the surfaces. Wimbledon's the most prestigious of all the Grand Slams, and it's on grass. Um, the other two are both on hard court surfaces, like concrete, basically, right? Um, and so Nadal, 14 of his 22, are on a surface that I think is widely regarded as like the least important. Um, again, that's that's my opinion. I'm not a huge tennis insider but I feel pretty confident about that statement. So I do think that's a little bit of a knock on him that so many of them come from one tournament and it happens to be the one that maybe is the least least important um, surface anyway. So that's his knock. The knock on Federer is that he has a losing record head-to-head against Djokovic and Nadal and he only has one French Open title. But it's hard to get more than one when one guy's winning 14 out of 18, right? Um, so... You know, but that's tough. He only has one of those. So Nadal versus Federer head to head. Nadal is up twenty four to sixteen in head to head matches against Roger Federer. He's up fourteen to ten in finals of tournaments, and he's up ten to four in Grand Slams. Um, and Nadal though is six and zero on clay in the French Open. And so if you take away the French Open, where he's just out of this world dominant. They're actually just four and four against each other in Grand Slams. Um, they've only played four times on grass, which is Federer's best surface, and Federer is has a three-one lead in that one. And the one that he lost was like a extra sets. You know, it it went it went the distance, um, and he barely lost. So he's three and one on his surface. Unfortunately, he's had to play him on clay a lot more, um, and so that kind of plays a toll there. Um, against Djokovic, uh, he's also got a losing record. Federer does. He's twenty-three and twenty-seven against Djokovic, six and thirteen in finals, six and eleven in slams. So I'm telling you, Federer just—he just came along, a, just a little bit too early, almost. He dominated tennis when it was like Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi were kind of on their way out, uh, but they were still really good players. And then there's a couple other guys whose names I'm spacing right now, but um, he dominated like we've never seen before. It was like every Grand Slam Federer was going to win. And now it's just all along comes these guys, Rafael Nadal and uh, Novak Djokovic, and all of a sudden they're equally dominant. And so you've got the three greatest tennis players ever at the exact same time in history. It's, it's bizarre. These guys are better than Bjorn Borg. They're better than Pete Sampras. They're better than Andre Agassi. They're better than all these guys, and they're all playing right now. And their primes essentially have been the exact same time. Again, a few years uh, disadvantage for Federer because you know they came along and he was kind of getting a little bit older. He's my age; he's forty, so it's going to be tough for him to win another slam. I hope he does, but it's going to be tough. He made the final against Djokovic just well, it was it last year in Wimbledon and just couldn't get it done, and that was very sad for me. But um, 
I don't know. It's just an interesting thing. The the dominance that you see from these guys is is a little bit bizarre. It's like really like how are there three guys that are head and shoulders above the rest of the world, and they're all playing right now. It's like I don't even know other names to mention right now. Um, anyway, that was my that's my take on on uh, Nadal and Federer and Djokovic and the tennis world. Wimbledon's next. I love Wimbledon, and uh, I'm rooting for Fed. We'll see how it goes. Again, he's 40, so it's gonna be tough. Um, okay, last thing I want to mention. I saw this today, and this is just real quick, take 30 seconds. But I saw uh, Instagram had the NBA scoring champs for each of the last, or sorry, not the last, but for the 86 season through the 97 season. So it's actually a 12-year stretch. And Michael Jordan was the scoring champ for every single one of those, except two in which he went and played baseball. And so he was not playing it, basketball. So the only times he didn't win the scoring champ championship or title is when he wasn't playing and in 97 when he the next year he didn't win it again it's because he retired it's it's crazy so he retired in 98 but again it's the 97 98 season and he won the scoring title that year it's crazy the dominance that this guy had scoring is the most important thing in basketball period those guys get paid the most they're the most responsible for winning it's the most important period don't give me defense don't give me assists I mean, give those to me, but don't give those to me as answers for what's most important because it's just not. Scoring is the most important. Michael Jordan did that so much better than anybody else ever has. It's mind-blowing. 10 out of 12 seasons, he led the league in scoring. Six times in that span, he won NBA championships, finals MVP for each of those six, and the only two years that he didn't win the scoring title he wasn't playing and he and nobody knocked him off his pedestal nobody climbed the mountain and took the torch from him he literally retired and he was not the scoring champ because he retired the dominance is unreal um kevin durant we think of him as this like outrageously dominant scorer he has four scoring titles and he's definitely on the down slope of his career he's still in his prime but like he's he hit the peak, and he's coming down the other side of the mountain. Still in his prime. There's still that upper echelon, that upper peak, but he's coming down. And he only has four. Jordan had 10. And it was like in a row. The 10, se- 10 seasons that he actually played in a row, he won the scoring title all 10 years. Unbelievable. And he was winning championships along the way. The last six years that he, of those 10 that he was playing, he won the championship. It's dominance like we've never seen um, in a team sport not to the level of Djokovic and Nadal and Federer in an individual sport or like Sean White or Michael Phelps, but that's a different story. Guys, that's all the time I have for today. I'm excited for Game 3 Wednesday. going to have people over to my house, so if you're a friend of mine and you're listening to this, plan on coming to my house on Wednesday night for the game. I will see you guys next time. I am out. Peace. We got the same. We got the Thanks for hanging with Simply the Best Sports Take. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and check out stbsportstake.com. Simply the best in sports. Yeah, the